This week on Buffy the Gilmore Slayer. There's a tomato? Bread? Cheese? What is happening? Hello and welcome to Buffy the Gilmore Slayer. I'm Brian Morris. I'm Stacey Kulo, and we're both comedians. And a couple. And I've never seen Buffy the Vampire Slayer, one of Brian's favorite shows. And I've never seen Gilmore Girls, one of Stacey's favorite shows. So we're watching both shows together, all seven seasons, comparing them as we go. And this week we watched season four, episode 12 of both shows, starting with Buffy the Vampire Slayer, A New Man. As well as Gilmore Girls, A Family Matter. I still don't know which one I think is better. Do you? Um, yeah, I think I do. All right, well, I'm excited to figure it out while you confidently know the whole time. Yep, me too. These were both pretty good, though. I feel like yeah. it was sort of an unexpected mid-season boon. Yeah, they're both fun. You want to just jump right into five-star reviews? Let's do it. We got one. So f- let's just jump right into five-star review. Yeah. Thank you so much to Alpike12. Thank you, Alpike. I also have related news to five-star oh, yeah. reviews. Um, Spotify emailed me today, mm. personally. And said that they're launching a rating system. I don't know that you can leave reviews, but it's going to be rolling out over time. But if you listen to us on Spotify, you can leave us five stars there too. Yeah. Having a lot of ratings really helps amplify our voice and get more people to find out about us. Mm-hmm. And if someday they offer a review option, we'll give you a shout out as well. Indubably. That's not indu- indubably. Indubably. Brian had tongue surgery. Indubly. So this will be weird. My tongue's fine now. <laughs> What's new with you? My book club book for next month, uh, I'm listening to it and I'm into it. It's Mistborn by Brandon Sanderson. Like the born identity, but it's a girl? Mistborn? <laughs> oh, yeah. Like Mrs. Pac- it's a sequel. Miss Pac-Man? Yeah. No, uh, Mist. Oh, like, I missed the Bourne series because I was watching other movies? No, like, uh, my eyes are getting misty because of the way the second Bourne movie ends. Oh, spoilers. <laughs> spoilers. You said it's really long? Yeah, I mean, for a book club book, we tend not to do super long books because you got to read them in a month. Mm. But this one, we did it two months in advance because we knew it was longer. I actually don't know how many pages it is because I'm listening to it. But it's 24 hours listening. Oh, wow. Is that longer than most? Yeah. The man doesn't say page four every time he... <laughs> page five, like, at mid-sentence. <laughs> don't you dare kill my page seven. Who knows? It might not end well. I don't know, but it's good right now. How old is it? I don't know. Okay. I want to say 80s. I don't know if that's right. It's in its 80s or it came out in the 80s? It's 80 years old today. It's <laughs> Happy birthday, birthday your yeah. book. It's a very old book. Oh, man, it's so weird to think about time now. Everything seems to be like 20 years later than it is. Why is that? Well, just like when you think of the 80s, I'm like, oh, yeah, it's 20 years ago. No, that's 40 years ago. Yeah, that's true. But we're not 40 yet, so. I know, but it's just, it's like, I always thought of it in terms of like relevant to 2000 almost, you know? I know, I was just thinking that it's going to be 2022. It's insane that 2000 is over 20 years ago. Yeah, I know, that's crazy. Do you want to talk about wine? Yeah. I don't think we had wine with shows this week because we had a watch party for our Patreon page and we had wine at the watch party. That's right. It was one that we had before and we had it again. It was good. Mm-hmm. With our partnership with Wink.com, don't forget, you can get four bottles of wine for twenty nine ninety five plus free shipping when you sign up and they will send wine to you based on a quiz that you take about the things that you like to eat and drink. 
And they'll recommend wines for you, or you can choose whichever ones you want from their browsing collection, which is what we did with this particular one because we liked it. Mm-hmm. You can sign up for this by going to the link in the episode description or in our social media bio or by using promo code Gilmore Slayer at checkout. So this week we started with Buffy. So Stacy, could you tell us about a new man? Like? About that guy you were dreaming about. Yeah, oh, yeah. We, we need dream. to tell them about that. So the other night, I had a dream that we were having a big breakup fight. Me and you. Yeah, not, not me and the audience. <laughs> I had gotten up before Brian, so I went to go grab something off the back of the bedroom door. So he was opening the door. I was like, don't freak out. I'm on the other side of the door with my arms up. Well, I just heard, don't freak out. And I'm like, what's happening on the other side of this door right now? Don't freak out. Like, what is, what's happening? you taking your head off? Like, what? I just didn't want you to be scared because I had my arms up and you were about to open the door. But I had a dream that we were breaking up and also like a wolf bit me. There was like a wolf loose and you were like not helping me deal with the wolf situation mm-hmm. but you had a dream well, so you opened the door and you just like immediately hugged me and you were like i had a bad dream about us and i was like oh i had a dream i was making out with milo ventimiglia <laughs> but you know that's what you say to your lover <laughs> i would have told you about it yeah it seemed like the time to bring it up if mm-hmm. we were talking about our dreams yeah were our dreams related yeah maybe he was the wolf <laughs> It wasn't, like, as sexy as one would want it to be. We we were just, like, dating and we kissed. And then I think he morphed into somebody else, as dream people tend to do. Yeah, well, obviously he's, like, some kind of weird Dracula that can just change into bats and wolves and what other people. I'm sorry I didn't help you with the wolf. You've been bringing this up all well, week. Well, maybe you should have. When wolf problems come up, you seem to disappear. Into the arms of my new lover. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You want me to tell you about the new man? Yes. A new man? Yeah. The episode, mm-hmm. not the new man from my dreams? Right. Well, okay. This episode of Buffy, A New Man, is about Giles feeling kind of left out, because he is. They haven't been telling him everything. And through a unrelated series of events, he also happens to become a demon. And Buffy and Riley get a little closer, unfortunately. Yeah, I am not shipping them. I don't know why anyone would. They have zero chemistry. I am. I'm hoping a big ship crashes into Riley. (laughs) Right, he's just got, he's just got no personality. Yeah, I he's don't... a nice guy. They've made that clear. He's not a bad guy. Like he's a nice, good dude, chivalrous, chival, chiv, Chevrolet. I thought you said your tongue was better. I'm still there's still some stitches. Mm-hmm. Don't freak out. <laughs> but it's not my tongue. Don't freak out. I did perform tongue surgery on you in the night. Said the wolf, a chivalrous. He's a nice guy. But he's just like so bland. He's just like a golden retriever. You said you called him that. Mr. Peanut Butter. I think he's Mr. Peanut Butter. Oh, from Bojack Horseman? Yeah. He's got big PB energy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Except PB was sort of charming. Yeah, like funny. Let's get into it. So it opens on Buffy and Riley making out in her bed to this weird song that kind of sounds like the song she had sex with Parker to, but then it kind of sounds like it's going to turn into the circle of life from The Lion King. But... Who knows where this making out is going to lead because Willow said she was going to be out studying all night. And then Riley's hands start studying the inside of Buffy's shirt. But then Willow busts in. There's a fire-breathing demon in the rec room, she says. JK, it's a surprise party for Buffy. No one told Riley. He, like, leaves and comes back with a weapon like a real dork. (laughs) Like a prepared person? (laughs) Yeah, yeah, I guess. That's fair. (laughs) If I had said there's a wolf, Riley would have helped me out. (laughs) Speaking of dorks, Giles is there, just boring Xander and Anya to death with a story about how this room is similar to a room he was in a different time. It's 
maybe not a great story, which Anya bluntly points out. By the way, Xander is wearing maybe the weirdest thing he's ever worn. It's like a vest with like clouds-ish on it. It's like bright blue with like white patches. It's very weird. He's worn some weird stuff. Yeah. I was like, this is your dress vest, I guess. Is that a tongue twister you just invented? Yeah. I wanted to show off. I guess. Giles is feeling a little out of place. Willow comes over to talk to him and brings him a piece of cake. This is important. (laughs) Yeah. And then Buffy hops over saying, Giles, I want you to meet Riley, my new boyfriend. This is clearly the first time Giles is learning that Buffy even has a boyfriend. Mm -hmm. And Riley's like, what is it you do exactly? And Giles is like, uh, well, uh. And then Buffy's like, uh, this is awkward. Giles has no cake. So Riley leaves to get him some, but he had cake. He was holding cake when Riley came over. It conveniently vanished so he could shake Riley's hand. It kind of looks like he put it down on the chair. I think that's what happened. We watched the scene together because you told me about this, and it was like, on the surface, it does seem insane. But it kind of maybe looks like he set the cake down. Right. We don't see him do that, but it seems like his hand is coming up from it. So maybe it's Buffy just trying to come up with an excuse for Riley to go away, but Riley also probably just saw he had cake a second ago. Yeah, if someone sat cake down on a chair behind them, I would not be listening to a thing they were saying because I'd be paranoid that they were going to sit on that cake. So you'd think Riley would just be like, no, he he has cake. He sat it on the chair when he shook me. Yeah, Uh, it was right in front of me. But also, Giles was eating cake when he was talking to Xander and Anya. They really want Giles to eat some cake at this party. Like, maybe Ethan didn't actually do the thing to him. Whatever happens to Giles in this episode was because of that cake he ate. Yeah, once you've eaten a certain amount of cake, you turn into a demon. I almost think that in the script, the Xander and Anya conversation was maybe meant to go after this. Mm -hmm. Because I don't know why else he'd be eating cake and then everyone keeps insisting he has cake. Yeah, I mean, unless there's some kind of commentary here about how, like... They're not really paying attention to Giles. Yeah, maybe. But that was not clear if that was the intent. That could be it. But then they maybe needed to spell it out a bit more. But let's go with that. Then he needed to be like, I've I've already had so much cake. Twice I've had cake now. So Riley's off getting cake. Giles and Buffy talk for a second. Buffy starts raving about Professor Walsh and how she's just the smartest person she's ever met. And Giles doesn't like this because he thinks he's the smartest person Buffy's ever met. (laughs) And he's like, well, maybe we should have invited her to the party. And Buffy's like, ew, she's like 40. She's got better things to do than hang out with kids. This is a sick burn on Giles, but Buffy doesn't realize. Yeah, I feel like it's an obvious, as soon as she would say it, you'd be like, oh. Yeah. Giles doesn't have cake. Giles is probably like older than 40 too. Yeah. Buffy and Riley have a meeting with Professor Walsh to let her know that Buffy is the Slayer. She's like, oh, uh, I always thought that was just a myth. And Buffy's like, well, you were myth taken. (laughs) Very funny. Good joke. Good pun. It feels very out of character for Buffy almost, but I enjoyed it. And Professor Walsh says, so all this time you were doing like the same things we were doing, but we were doing it with state-of-the-art technology and weapons, and you've just been poking at things with a stick. And she's working on getting Buffy clearance to come into the initiative and is hoping they can learn from each other. And then she brags about how Riley has killed, like, 17 demons. And Buffy pretends to be impressed until they ask how many she's killed. And she's like, oh, She's killed, like, 100, man. Maybe more than that. Probably just last night alone. Yeah. She's killing multiple vamps every night. Yeah. Like, just on screen, we've probably seen, like, 100. I wondered if they were going to say. Yeah. Or if, like, she was going to make an estimate. But 
They don't. Off screen, she must tell them a bunch of stories about all the stuff she's done. And her and Riley are walking. It seems like a lot for him to take in. Almost seems like he's maybe going to be like emasculated by it, but I don't think he actually is. I think he's just surprised that she's done as much as she has. Mm-hmm. He's like, when I saw you save the world the other day, I thought that was like maybe a big week for you. And suddenly I'm finding myself needing to know the plural of apocalypse. <laughs> That was pretty funny. Yeah. And then he says, I'm not even sure I could take you. To which she says, well, that all depends on your meaning. And Riley likes that she said that. Dude, he was st- immediately started thinking about cars the second she brought it up. <laughs> Giles is at home, mobily dusting his books, when he suddenly remembers that it's the third new moon after the 900th feast of Delthrox, meaning the demon Prince Bavarian is going to rise tonight. I thought this was stupid. <laughs> I mean, I have my calendar marked. How could he have forgotten such an occasion? <laughs> like, I like the idea that the, the writers were like, okay, Giles is... Dust his bookshelf, and then he just remembers there's like a quick apocalypse he's got to stop. Yeah, it's like he has an idea, opens the book to double check, but like, what? Either like he should have had this on his calendar, or what exactly made him remember suddenly? But he calls Willow, I think looking for Buffy, and Willow must tell Giles about Buffy's meeting with the professor, because Giles goes to visit Professor Walsh. All of this is so insane. Like, she should have called security on him at so many points in this conversation. He starts by saying how confusing her office was to find and how he felt like a minotaur in the labyrinth. And she's like, cool, can I help you? Or he's like, who the fuck are you? (laughs) He's like, yes, yes, I'm a a grown man looking for Buffy, a a 19-year-old girl. And I heard from another 19-year-old girl that she might be in your very remote, private, hard-to-find office. You see, I was her high school librarian and we're, uh, we're, we're friends. Definitely nothing to be weirded out by here. So where's this woman? Did, where does she live? <laughs> it's just like... So weird. If I were a teacher and some old man came looking for one of my students, I would be like, no, I'm not telling you where she is. Even if someone her age showed up, I might say, well, give me a message. I'll pass it on to her. You That's know? what she says. Right. But like if an old man just shows up and was like, I was her high school librarian, I'd be like, well, this is raising more questions than answers. That's either a lie or, yeah, you need like more information. Like it sounds like he was just a weird librarian that had a crush on her and yeah. like looked up where she went to college and yep. went to go find her. He doesn't clear any of that up. But then Maggie Walsh is suddenly like, oh, my God, you don't have cake. And then she goes and gets him some. (laughs) You need to be eating cake. Eat the cake. But then he goes on to say that Buffy respects her a lot. She quotes her all the time. She even sounds like an introductory textbook sometimes. And Walsh is all like, well, I actually don't lecture from the textbook. And then she throws a bunch of other digs at Giles, culminating in saying that Buffy's biggest problem is she lacks a strong father figure. Good day, sir. And Giles is just like shook. It's never been explicitly labeled by Giles or Buffy that she thinks of him as a dad, but it's very heavily applied. I mean, she does ask him to walk her down the aisle. She's, like, under a spell at that point, but... Yeah, but I don't think the spell would, like, make him a father figure he's not. It would just make Spike a love interest that's not. Yeah, yeah. Whatever the equivalent of father-daughter sexual tension is is there. Like, what? I think... <laughs> no. We're not editing that out. What? You know, whatever the equivalent of that natural phenomenon is. They feel it, you know, but they haven't had a conversation about we should consummate this. Oh, my God. You know, I'm doing a jobs right now. I just took my glasses off. I need to, like, process what you're saying. They understand. Do they? Yes. Okay. You guys understand. You guys get it. They haven't had a conversation like, Giles, you're my dad, where Giles is like. I mean, they had that conversation about wanting him to. Go ice skating? No, they didn't. She asked him to take her to the ice show, and he was like, no, I need to put drugs in you. (laughs) 
Right. Because the sexual tensions get out of hand. Right, but she asking him to do that, I think, was her being like, you're my dad. Right, but in that moment, he wasn't reciprocating. But there's been other moments where he was, like, going to take her out for ice cream when she broke up with Angel. Yeah. They haven't had a conversation. But we as the audience, I think, know that they understand that that's their relationship. Yeah. The question, though, is does Maggie Walsh understand that? Because her comment seems very like, fuck you, Giles. But but she also, like we said, has no information other than this man was her librarian. I, right. So her saying that might be... It seems like a huge dig at Giles, and obviously it is, but I don't know that it's intentionally. Right. Like, he definitely takes it that way, but she might just, like, know that Buffy doesn't really have a dad and is just stating some facts she knows about Buffy to a stranger. Right. Which is also weird. (laughs) Listen, the problem with my students' psychology is the following. Yeah. But uh, I feel like the important part about this scene to mention is that I think we're supposed to take Maggie's side in this but it, I don't know. Like, Giles just shows up and is like, tell me where this student is. Trust me, I'm not a creep. By the way, she talks about you and you sound like a textbook, not that interesting or innovative. So the first insult flung is him at her. I don't know that what he said was necessarily an insult. He might have just been saying, you know, Buffy talks about psychology all the time. I don't know that he meant it as an insult. No. I, it I think he definitely like went in hot being like, I'm going to show this lady who Buffy's favorite adult is. <laughs> yeah. Where's Joyce? Joyce is just wherever. This season really proves we never needed her. Nope. Other than the fact that Buffy was a minor and couldn't live alone, so we needed to have an adult in her home. Yeah. (laughs) Like, her character was not necessary. Yeah. Okay, we broke that down. Giles is still fuming and takes Xander and Willow to stop the rising demon in some crypt, but they're pretty sure they're too late. But Xander and Willow say, oh, maybe the initiative took care of it. Who? Says Giles, the owl. They're like, the initiative, you know, Riley and his guys, the commandos. What? Says Giles. No one has told him about the initiative, or Riley, or anything. Even Spike knew before him. That was a very funny line. Yeah. Yeah, who else knows? Like, won't that many? You know, me, Willow, Buffy, Anya. Anya. Spike. (laughs) Spike Spike knew! (laughs) And to top it off, he finds out Professor Walsh, his new nemesis, is in charge of this whole operation. He sends Xander and Willow away so he can mope alone in this crypt for like a second. And he's like, who am I kidding? And he gets up to leave. As soon as he does, Ethan Rain is hiding in the crypt. He pops up and he's like, actually, something quite interesting is going to happen. And he monologues for like a while to no one until Giles pops back in and sees him. Giles is very excited to beat the shit out of Ethan. But Ethan's like, no, no, I have information you need to hear. So they go to grab drinks at a little pub. I, I want to say uh, something about this. So Ethan being there is weird. Like he knew Giles was going to be remembering this apocalypse. Yeah, I'm very confused about when things happened with Ethan and why. Okay, let's just say that he didn't know about this, okay? He was following Giles. He's in the crypt before Giles walks in. He's like hiding in the crypt. Did he see Giles going to the cemetery? And he's like, ooh, I bet it's that crypt. I'm going to go hide in there. I mean, he might have also known this was the third moon after the 900th feast or whatever. Yeah, I suppose that's true. And was waiting for Giles and was like, where is he? He must be eating cake. But then you'd think the Slayer would be there. And in which case, too, it's just like, why are you there? Like, unless Ethan was going to involve himself somehow with this rising guy, like, why is he there for this particular event? Also, did Ethan stop the rising? Did the initiative stop the rising? We don't ever see what happens with that. It sounded I, like a big deal. Yeah, I mean, I think it. I think the idea is the initiative did it. 
Yeah, I mean, it seemed like he did truly want to talk to Giles. So maybe the best way would be to just call Giles and make an appointment at a bar instead of like sneaking up on him in a graveyard. Right. I don't know. But also not sneaking up on him. Like he was there to like watch and monologue because he wasn't planning on getting caught. Yeah. I don't I don't know because he actually did want to talk to Giles, but he also wanted to hurt Giles. I don't understand his reason for coming to town, really. I think he was trying to get revenge on Giles for like foiling his previous plans. But also wants his help. I don't know that he actually wants his help. But he wanted to warn him. I mean, I, I think that might have just been a ruse. And the fact that it's true doesn't mean it wasn't just a ruse. Sure. So, like, you know, the fact that it's true is letting Giles be like, oh, this is checking boxes for me. This sounds like something I, I know about. They grab drinks. Ethan tells him that something is happening in the dark world. Something other than the Slayer is harming demons. And they're all scared of something called 314. And whatever this is, is throwing the world off balance, and he thinks they're headed for some kind of big fight. Giles just gets wasted and starts ranting about how the initiative has kind of taken over the work he used to do. He's trying to figure out how in such a short time Maggie Walsh and her Nancy ninja boys have the demon so worked up. I knew I wasn't the only one that thought they looked like ninjas. And he's like, what am I but an unemployed librarian with a tendency to get knocked on the head? Right. And Ethan's like, well, you won't have to worry about that anymore because I poisoned you when you went to the bathroom. You'll be dead in an hour. <laughs> Just kidding. And they laugh and laugh and cheers to magic. The scene is weird. They're old friends, but like Ethan has just done some kind of unforgivable stuff, I feel like. Yeah, I guess Giles feels like he has no one else to turn to at this point, though. So with a little alcohol, he probably is just like, yeah, this is my old friend. Yeah. We butt heads, but we also relate about a bunch of stuff. That I mean, I when you say butt heads, like he almost got Buffy killed multiple times. Yeah. And Buffy's his daughter-ish. They haven't had that conversation. But where has Buffy been this whole time? Well, she and Riley didn't have sex. Instead, they're having like a sparring date. It's just like some cute music playing while they beat each other up in a gym, and they both admit that they're holding back a little and decide to mutually go all out, and then Buffy kicks Riley all the way across the room. He seems a little hurt, but he says he's good. Now, I want to point out that what just happened to him should probably kill a regular person or, like, severely disable someone. She kicked him, like, into a wall. There's a pad. He yeah. landed on some big mats. I guess. But it would break some ribs, probably. Yeah, I mean, that's... The the foot hitting his ribs is the big problem. <laughs> Are you saying there's something we don't know, or there's... Well, I'm saying that either there's something we don't know, or the writers are just like, yeah, I don't know how human bodies work. <laughs> TBD. Willow's also having a little late-night rendezvous with Tara. They're at, I'm assuming, Tara's place? To use the magics to loves me, loves me not a rose. They're going to float it and rip the petals off. Right. It's normal activity. Mm-hmm. They manage to float the rose in the air, but then it just starts, like, zooming around the room, eventually crashing into the ground and, like, shattering. At breakfast, Buffy is delivering an ode to pancakes and waffles, and Willow tells Buffy about what happened with the rose, but lies about where she was and who she was with. She's like, I was in the chem lab by myself. <laughs> That's interesting. It is interesting. Why would she not want her to know about a friend? I don't know. They don't have any kind of relationship that's, like, taboo, so I don't know. Unless she doesn't want her to know she's, like, doing magic or something? I mean, she's already stressed that she wants to do more magic. I don't know if she's told anyone about the existence of Tara. Right. Not that we've seen. But Willow has a theory that someone with powerful dark energy is blocking spells and fucking with the magics. They keep saying magics. Is that a thing? I don't know. Never heard it pluralized anywhere else. Well, it's like Apocalypse. In Buffy, you gotta learn how to pluralize these things. I guess. 
Buffy tells Willow about kicking Riley across the room and admits that she was still holding back a little when she did that. And Willow also mentions that Giles is feeling pretty out of the loop. Buffy should probably check in on him. Giles wakes up with a hangover. I mean, as a demon. He said he'd feel like hell in the morning, and he he is. He said it like while he was drinking that he was going to feel like hell in the morning. And then as he's waking up, he's like, I feel like hell in the morning. <laughs> it's a weird thing to say. Wait, did he really say that? Yeah, as he was coming down the stairs, that like audio. I don't know if it was the audio playing again or if he actually was saying it. You hadn't seen his face yet. He's got horns, like a very spiny back. He's very strong. He smashes through the wall, breaks his banister, picks up his phone and just like crushes it without trying. He can't put on a shirt without his back horns ripping it up. So he just like wraps himself in a blanket and leaves, ripping the front door off. He knows Ethan has something to do with this and he's off to find him. But first he stops at Xander's. (laughs) Well, it makes sense though, like that he would go to Xander's, I feel like. Because Xander's, he just has to go to Xander's apartment, doesn't have to interact with anybody else. Yeah. To go to Buffy's dorm. Yeah. That's like, there's people all over. Yeah, I guess he doesn't know where Ethan is. I'm sure Xander's mom would be like, I've seen some weird shit. Go ahead. (laughs) Do you have to go into Xander's house to get to the basement, or is it a separate entrance? I don't know. Xander's still asleep. It's 1030. Giles is appalled that he's still asleep. He's just like, this is very funny. He he very gently tries to wake him up. (laughs) Xander, Xander. He's like, when you look at me, you may be alarmed, but it's me, Giles, and I need your help. And Xander wakes up, but he doesn't hear English. All he hears is a demon language and just starts throwing things at him. Yeah, he just wakes up to a face being like... (laughs) (laughs) It's funny, though, because he's, like, not trying to hurt him. Right. He's just like, stop, stop, I just want to talk. But he, he pelts him with random objects until Giles leaves, and then he runs through Xander's neighborhood scaring children. Much, much later, this was 10.30 a.m., and now it's dark. Xander is telling the ladies about the demon that came to visit in the morning. Not sure what he did all day, but they go to Giles' house to get his help and see that his place appears broken into and ransacked. He's not there. They find his ripped clothes and have reason to believe that the demon wasn't nice to Giles. So they're all looking through books, trying to figure out what kind of demon this might have been. Riley shows up to investigate because the initiative apparently tracks 911 calls that might be related to non-human activity, and he offers the services of the initiative to help find Giles. Demon Giles is roaming around a graveyard. Now, earlier in this episode, there was a brief scene where Spike was deciding to move out of Xander's basement on his own because they're no longer keeping him. I'm not really sure what changed, though. I guess he could fight demons now, so he maybe feels more confident in defending himself. It's weird to me. We've talked about this at length. It's weird that they just, like, let him go. Yeah. And, like, trust that the chip is fine. The dude's a murderer. He's a demon. Yeah, he's going to find a way to get rid of the chip. Yeah. That's, like, priority one, I would think. Yeah. He's not sure where he's going to go, but he's thinking maybe a nice dank crypt. So as Giles is walking through the graveyard, he comes across Spike, who's measuring crypts. And Spike's very excited to see a demon. He can fight something. He recognizes Giles' voice and can understand what he's saying because he happens to speak whatever demon language Giles is speaking and actually knows a bit about the type of demon that he is. It's a fjarl demon. So Giles asked Spike to help him in exchange for $200. Well, yeah, he, he's like, you got to help me. And he's like, what, out of the evilness of my heart? <laughs> At first he offers him 100 and he's like, you have to do a lot better than that. <laughs> so you're expecting like 1000 but it's 200 So Spike is driving Giles around in Giles' car, but Spike, like Lorelai, can't drive stick. And while they're in the car, Spike gives Giles a bit more information about the Feral demons. 
He confirms they're very strong and that they're pretty dumb, very basic violence-centric vocabulary, and they can shoot paralyzing mucus from their nose, which I'm kind of sad we never see. Yeah. They mention that several times. Yeah. Why would they not? I know. And it seems like the demon is taking over Giles a bit. He says he's got this overwhelming rage and a need to destroy, and he doesn't like it. Spike's like, that sounds fun, man. Let it happen. And Giles is like, no, no, I'm a human with a soul. I won't let it overtake me. But then he sees Maggie Walsh walking down the Sunnydale's one street and asks Spike to stop the car. And he just like chases her and terrorizes her for a bit. Then nonchalantly gets back in the car. Yeah. It's like, all right, let's go. I'd be nervous that she would have like a way to shoot him immediately or capture him. He knows she runs the demon hunting people. The gang has figured out what kind of demon likely got Giles and that it can be destroyed with a weapon made of silver. Professor Walsh calls Riley to tell him that she was attacked by a demon and that it's in Giles' car. Buffy takes a huge logic leap that since this demon is supposed to be dumb, it would never steal a car. So whatever is messing with the magics must also be controlling this demon. Willow's like, yep, sounds right to me. Buffy starts giving everyone orders, which gets Riley rock hard, and Buffy grabs a letter opener as her silver weapon. Her and Riley go to the magic shop to look for receipts. Buffy, like, busts open the door, and Riley's like, you shouldn't have done that. And he's, you think he's, like, mad at her for being a vandal, but he's like, I have a master key to every door on Main Street. Yeah. I mean, I guess that's not any better. That's not vandalism, but it's still, like, you shouldn't be breaking into places. Well, I mean, it is better. They don't have to, like, buy a new lock for their door. That's true. And then Buffy finds a receipt with Ethan's name on it. It's like handwritten. Is this a normal thing to like write? I guess if you paid with a credit card. Yeah, and if you're buying like magic shit, they might want you to sign something. I don't know. Yeah. So Riley calls the initiative to search the hotel registration for Ethan. The initiative tapped into a lot of different things, isn't it? Mm-hmm. And he gets off the phone. He's like, BT dubs, I'm not supposed to bring you along when I confront the demon, Buffy. Doesn't really say why, other than this is a military operation now, but Buffy's like, yeah, I don't work for you or anyone really, so I'm going. You can come if you want. Spike and Giles go to the bar where Giles and Ethan were to see if the waitress has any info on Ethan. And Ethan had given the waitress his phone number in a real sleazy way, which she was not into, but she especially didn't want it because he wrote that he was staying at the sleazy hotel. Yeah, I felt like that was pretty, I don't know, like bad writing. It was like, he's just hitting on some random woman and that's all the that's exactly where he's staying and all that stuff. Yeah. I don't know. It's just like way too convenient. It was kind of funny because they it was sort of a misdirect that he started complimenting the woman and saying she was like attractive, but you thought he was talking to Giles. Right. So I was like, oh, is Ethan trying to fuck Giles? But no. So they know to look for Ethan at this hotel. Giles is like barely hiding in the background. <laughs> he's just like at the bar with his cloak on. I'm yeah. Like, You're not hidden, dude. Back in the car, Giles' rage problem isn't going away. He says he feels like snapping necks until everyone's dead. But someone is following them. Spike says they picked up a tail. And Giles is like, yeah, it's just a little one. It hurts when I sit. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that was very funny. Spike's like, no, there's like a military vehicle, plural, following us. And so he bribes Spike with another $100 to let him jump out of the car so Spike can keep driving and keep the military on his tail. Giles busts into Ethan's hotel, and Ethan's like, don't kill me, you need me to undo this for you, and then Buffy shows up. Ethan then pretends that Giles is a scary demon and not Giles, so Buffy fights demon Giles, tries to get him to answer about what he may have done to Giles, and Ethan tries to escape, but Riley fights him. I think Riley actor does his own stunts. Mm-hmm. I don't know if that's true, but I know what you're talking about. I didn't see any cuts to stunt double. It generally looks like him. Usually Buffy, anything slightly more than a light punch is her double. Yeah. 
I think there's been takes where it was like, uh, Sarah, are you going to sneeze in this shot? So we're going to bring in your stunt double. <laughs> it might just be more like he's a trained fighter. Yeah. Buffy stabs Giles with the letter opener, but immediately recognizes him and simultaneously realizes that the letter opener isn't silver when he doesn't die. Now, you were wondering why Ethan is even still in town because it's been like a full 24 hours. Yeah. But he justifies it immediately, kind of. He's like, I really got to learn to get out of town. It's the stay and gloat that gets me every time. Yeah, but like, it, it doesn't make sense still. Like, who's he just, gloating to? Yeah, who's he, who's he gloating to? Is he f- watching them? Because they show up and he's like hurriedly packing. Like, I got to get out of here. Like, well, you had all day to get out of here. He was just delivering gloaty monologues in his hotel room. Yeah. Like, why suddenly are you in a rush? Right. They should have showed up and he should have been like slowly getting ready to leave. Mm-hmm. But I assume Ethan then undoes the demon spell and Giles has to wear some of his flashy clothes. Giles asks how Buffy knew it was him and she tells him it was his eyes. His judgy, judgy eyes. Yeah. And Ethan's like, well, guess I'll be going then. And Riley's like, no, 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 no. The military is taking you into custody and says they're taking him to a secret detention facility in Nevada where he'll be rehabilitated in no time. Can they do that? Well, I mean, it's, I don't know that they're operating under any real legal laws. If it's like the government, though, like, doesn't he have to be tried? Even if you know someone's guilty, like a terrorist, you have to like... I mean, this government agency is like keeping monsters in basements. I don't think they're giving them trials. I Wouldn't guess. a vampire be entitled to a trial? But he's a human, which he points out. Like He's like, Buffy, you can't kill me because I'm a human. But he has no rights as far as... I mean, after the Patriot Act, I don't it know. feels like some Guantanamo shit. For sure, but Guantanamo exists. Yeah. Also, I just want to point out, uh, this is like a spoiler, but like it doesn't matter. Uh, Ethan is not coming back. This is his last time. Whoa, they don't rehabilitate him? They kill him in Nevada? No, we don't get a like he's dead situation. Actually, I read something that he's like in the comics, but since we're not talking about the comics, all I can say is that he's not in the show anymore, ever again. I'm sad he's not coming back. I, I don't like him, but it's interesting when he shows up because I like getting glimmers of Giles' past. Yeah, I'm really sad they don't do more with Ethan, that this was it. I don't know if the actor just became unavailable, or if he didn't want to do it, or if they just were like... Nevada's fucked up. (laughs) Yeah, it's just, I don't know, it's weird. Giles is very giddy about Ethan being taken away, and he excuses himself to go watch them shove him into a vehicle. So Riley and Buffy are left alone, and he comments that she's as strong as Spider-Man, and that she's kind of like the boss of everything, which he is into. But then he follows up by saying that give him a week and he'll be able to kick her ass. I don't know. If someone kicks me across a room, I'm going <laughs> to need two weeks for sure. And by two weeks, I mean I'm putting in my notice because uh, <laughs> I'm not getting kicked across a room again. <laughs> Buffy and Giles are hanging out. Giles has gotten a new phone. He passively, aggressively reminds her that he doesn't like feeling left out. And he's like, I don't know how much we can trust Ethan, but maybe he's right about the initiative being bad news. And Buffy's like, nah, it's fine. You just hate Professor Walsh. But she's kind of like, okay, maybe I'll keep my eyes peeled. Meanwhile, Professor Walsh is kind of scolding Riley for carousing with an impulsive Buffy. And Riley- Just to translate that, she's scolding him for allowing Buffy to like go on this military operation that he was explicitly told to keep her out of. Right. Because she doesn't really fully trust Buffy since she's untamed. Right. But Riley's like, no, no, she's great at what she does, and she's got the truest soul I've ever known. Oh, Whoa. God. oh Whoa. God. Riley, this is your boss. What are you doing? What the fuck are you doing? Like, that's a lame thing to say to your mom or your best friend. Why that's you... a lame thing to say to your girlfriend. Yeah. Why are you telling this to your, like, military boss? If you told me that I was the truest soul, I'd be like, well, are you okay? <laughs> 
the hell are you talking about? Are you going to kill me? I would never say that to you. She makes fun of him, rightly so. Yeah. But says that his instincts about Buffy are probably right. And then she goes into a restricted area with a door that has a big 314 on it. Ominous music. End of episode. So I want to talk about some stuff. I I don't want to get into spoilers, but like the 314 stuff is important. But the idea that like demons have any idea about 314 is stupid. Okay. (laughs) Like it, it doesn't make sense. Okay. Um, I'll trust you. My questions are, did Ethan slip something in his drink? Like, when did he cause him to be a demon? And why? Well, we don't know what happens to Giles. We never see him go home. So for all we know, Ethan waited for him to pass out from regular drinking, or maybe he slipped him something, and then when he went back to the hotel, he, like, put a curse on him or something. Yeah. Okay, that answers my questions. Or, yeah, he slipped him some bad beer. Beer bad. Mm Mm-hmm. Um, was this a good one? Yeah, it was a fun one. It was fun seeing Giles terrorize Maggie Walsh. And also, there was a lot of fun interactions between him and Spike. Yeah, yeah, they were like buddy cop for a while. And it was nice that we finally got to address Giles, because this whole season, he's been sidelined. Mm-hmm. And this was like acknowledging, like, oh yeah, he's being sidelined. And he knows that. <laughs> yeah. I don't know that it was like the best episode ever. I mean, I know it wasn't the best episode ever, but it, it was pretty fun. I like it. Yeah, it was very funny. For a while, I was like, is that Giles in makeup? It, it must have been. Yeah. It sounded like it had to have been. It wasn't like his voice was coming from somewhere else, like in the previous episode when he had no makeup on. And we didn't get, like, any kind of answers or anything, but they are sort of now reintroducing that there is this probably bad thing about the initiative. Right. Or, like, heavily implying it. Mm-hmm. It's like early in the season we were like, oh, the initiative's the bad thing. And then once we get to learn about the initiative, it doesn't really seem bad. Yeah, and they're like, oh, maybe they're actually the good guys. Yeah. But now we're like, oh, no, something's up with them. Yeah. So I'm, I'm glad that there was that. I didn't dislike much about it other than I don't really care about Buffy and Riley that much. And the cake situation. <laughs> didn't make any sense at all. Anything else? I don't think so. Oh, I should mention, Spike says that he's moving out looking for a crypt, right? Yeah. We saw a crypt in this episode. Is that Spike's house? Spike's house. Nice. And now for a special segment we like to call Meanwhile on Charmed. Charmed was another popular WB show airing around the same time that neither of us has ever seen. But we're discussing it anyway. Based only on its IMDb summaries. Stacey, what happened on Charmed? Meanwhile on Charmed Season 4, Episode 12, Lost and Bound, Paige discovers that a 10-year-old runaway, guest star Alex Black, is a fire starter and being hunted by demon bounty hunters. So while they protect him, they try to teach him how to use his powers for good rather than evil. So in this episode, I'm sure he, like, got back at some bullies early on, you know, and, like, set their homework on fire and stuff, and then the demon hunter's little bad magic happening radar went off. Question. Are the bounty hunters demons, or are they humans hunting demons? I think they're humans hunting demons. So the little boy's a demon? No, I just think they don't know that. Okay. They just have a badness radar. Yeah. So they're like, badness going on over here, same tech that the initiative uses. Mm-hmm. And so they've been chasing this boy down, and he's been using the fire to, like, get away from them, but, like, it's sort of getting into the idea of, like, oh, if I can set my enemies on fire. He hasn't killed any of the bounty hunters yet, but he's, like, set them on fire, and they've had to put it out. So they're, like, he's definitely evil, but really he's just trying to protect himself. Yeah. So they're teaching him, like, hey, you know, you could just, like, really be great at, like, birthday candles. Yeah, there's a big need for that because at this time in history, if you don't remember, yeah. 
butane was very rare. And matches were all on back order. Yeah. It's like the shipping crisis that's happening now, worse. Worse. In 2001 or whatever. For just fire products. Yeah. So he was a very wealthy 10-year-old. Yeah. Well, uh, well, that's not true. Let's not lie. He was a very wealthy 11-year-old. One year later. Yeah, it, it took a year for him to truly learn how to harness his powers for good. There was a few accidents with clowns. that he, he's, he's afraid of clowns, so he thought those were his enemies, and he accidentally burned some clowns. But eventually, the witches were able to train him to just do birthday candles. Yeah. And I mean, cigarettes for damsels. Yeah. The big way he makes money, obviously you can't just do birthday candles all the time. You know, how much a family's going to pay. That's true. No more than a lighter would cost, I would say. So he ends up working at a dominatrix um, house (laughs) as the guy who lights the candles that drip the wax on the people. Hence the lost and bound. Yeah. Is he bound? No, they're bound. Right. Consensually bound. And they blindfold him so he can't see all the sex stuff because he's a boy. Yeah, that'd be so gross. Are you kidding? He's got earplugs in. He's got a face mask on. I mean, he's seen some shit. He's burned some clowns alive. But yeah. that still it would be wrong of them yeah, to yeah. not blindfold this boy. Yeah, yeah. This one really, I'm surprised it aired. Yeah. It covered a lot of dark subjects. It showed a clown just getting burnt. Yeah. <laughs> In the end of the episode, the bounty hunters show up. They're like, we're going to get this kid. He's a bad one. And they're like, no, 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 no. Look, he burns houses uh, that firemen practice on. He does that too? Yeah, he's got a lot going on. That's why he gets so wealthy in a year. Yeah, yeah. Well, good for him. And then the Charmed Ones do brunch. It's nice. Mm -hmm. Anyway, this has been Meanwhile Uncharmed. So then we watched Gilmore Girls. Brian, I see you have a little kitty cat assistant. Yeah, it's about a half hour before he eats and he's just... um, he thinks it's now. Yeah. Hey, bud. It's not now. It's not time. You gotta wait. Why don't the two of you tell us about a family matter? Okay, so family matter is about Lorelai hanging out with Jason. Mm-hmm. It's also about Luke dealing with some family stuff. Yeah. And it's also about Paris a little bit. Yeah, quite a bit. Right. Well, the episode opens on Lorelai walking through a snow-melting post-holiday Stars Hollow on her way to Luke's. She stops there, but she has to sit with Kurt because there aren't any other tables left. At first, when she has to sit down, he's all like, I have a girlfriend. She's like, I'm not flirting with you. But then, of course, she thinks this is funny. So she just, like, makes a joke of constantly flirting with Kirk. And Luke comes over and, like, plays along with this. <laughs> uh, and it just makes Kirk so uncomfortable. And it's pretty funny. <laughs> like, she says something, and he's like, about uh, them being together. And he just says to people around, like, she's lying. Yeah. We're not together. Luke's like, you do an item now? Yeah. Yeah, he was like, you double dipping, you dog. (laughs) It's just funny to see Kirk so uncomfortable. But also, she calls Rory, like, as soon as she comes in there, like, blatantly, once again, ignoring Luke's cell phone rule. He even reminds her, and she's all like, yeah, well, it's Rory, so I can do what the fuck I want, remember? Don't respect you. He's distracted. Sure. He doesn't seem that mad because he is distracted, like you said. He's arguing with some strange woman, and Lorelai notices this and just assumes that this must be somehow related to Nicole. Because, you know, Nicole only brings him trouble as far as she's concerned. There's a lot going on during this phone call. There is a lot going on in this phone call. When she calls Rory, everyone in her dorm is getting up and ready for the day. Lane is now officially staying, crashing rather, at Rory's dorm. Because of her drug problem. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. Lane has got coffee for everybody. I'm guessing she just feels bad and, like, wants to be helpful. And she's helping Paris with her morning wake-up routine. Paris is very tired because she was out late last night banging Professor Ash. Asher Fleming. <laughs> yes, you're right. 
You got a nickname for him? Well, yeah, she was getting some Professor Ash ass, and so she is having some trouble waking up. Her routine involves, like, slamming a triple espresso shot. She gets up and yells, good morning, Vietnam, and then also she's yelling something like, who's your daddy from another room? She's got an interesting wake-up routine, to say the least. I also love when Lane's like, oh, I gotta wake Tana. Like, she's got this whole morning ritual. Yeah. Yeah, I really liked this first scene. It was very funny. There was a lot going on. It was, like, two different locations with, like, three different things happening at each place. Sure, yeah. We had Luke talking to this mystery woman. We have the game with Kirk and Lorelai flirting. Mm-hmm. Lorelai talking to Rory, who's got, like, two things going on. Paris being weird and, like, Lane being there. Yeah. I also love how it ends. Lorelai just, like, winking at Kirk. <laughs> yeah. But I don't know. It was just really cool, I thought. The script for that must have been nuts. It was a good opening. And the last week was a good opening. And we've said this before that I don't feel like Gilmore isn't great with openings. But these last two have been really funny. That morning, Tana, if you don't remember, that's one of Rory's roommates, the very socially awkward one. The one that even Paris would admit is socially awkward. Uh, she's gotten all dialed up because she's trying to get a specific boy's attention. She asked Paris how she looks. And Paris says, would a comedic response crush you? <laughs> I thought that was pretty funny. And when Tana kind of nods, she's like, Tariff. While the roommates are talking, the phone just keeps ringing, and Paris doesn't seem to mind. Normally, you'd think she'd answer it or yell at someone for not answering it, but she's just, like, ignoring it. Probably because she doesn't want to talk to Jamie, and she knows that's who it is. Rory eventually answers the phone, and yeah, it's Jamie. And when she gives it to Paris, she just starts lying to him. He's in town for only two days and was planning on seeing her, but she cancels her plans for that night because she has to study, air quotes. And also because she's got to be there for Lane, who's chasing the dragon and doing drugs. All this is lies. Yeah. Rory and Lane just stand there like, okay. Multiple times people are like, what's chasing the dragon? (laughs) I think that's heroin, right? I don't know. Yeah, it's heroin. I've never chased a dragon. Paris on the phone with Jamie is like, I don't know, she's being pretty unreasonable. She's all like, well, we weren't sure we were going to hang out today. I told you to pencil it in. I just got so much studying to do. Which is all like, well, I mean, it's over. If I came to visit you for two days and you're suddenly like, I got to study. And it's his birthday. Yeah. I feel like, does she even know it's his birthday? I don't know. They never address. I can't believe Rory didn't tell her later. Yeah. Well, Jamie eventually tracks Rory down at the El Cafeteria and asks her to explain what's going on with Paris. He knows that she's avoiding him. Rory, like, awkwardly covers for Paris and even lies when he specifically asks if Paris is seeing somebody else. To be fair, Rory hasn't heard the details from Paris, but, I mean, she does know. But she's, she tells him no. Yeah. Or, like, not that I know, but it's like, you do know. You, you know that she's with a certain elephant. Certain elephant? No, certain elephant. She also doubles down on the Lane lie. Yeah, she was like, yeah, Lane's been the worst. But he mentions it's his birthday and stuff, and obviously Rory's like, oh, God, Paris is treating him like garbage. Yeah. So when she gets back to her dorm room, she sees that Paris is just sitting there and watching C-SPAN, technically, like, doing her homework, and that's just on in the background. At least that's what she says, and I, like, half believe her, but it's clear she's not, like, super focusing on her homework. So Rory just confronts her about everything and, like, admits that she knows about Asher, or as Paris constantly keeps saying, a certain other fella. I hate that so much. (laughs) Paris is, like, happy to be caught, it seems. Oh, totally. She's, like, been wanting to talk about her certain other fella forever. Paris doesn't want Rory calling Professor Asher Professor either because it makes him sound like the six-year-old man that he is. He has the body of a 40-year-old, she says. Yeah. It was also very funny when Rory said, my grandfather introduced you to him. And Paris says, well, hot men tend to run in packs. <laughs> She's like, never say anything like that again. Yeah. Oh, my God. Is this a future storyline? It better be. Is Richard hot? 
I feel like there's an argument to be made that Asher's hot. Sure, sure. I don't know that I find him attractive. Well, Paris, even when he was young, Paris goes on to be like, it's the accent. You know, there's things about him. Yeah, she's into British men. She yeah, says, like Roger Moore. Hmm. But oh, that's so weird. Did someone say your grandfather's hot? She eventually calls Rory a prude. And she calls her Mary. Yeah, and calls her Mary again, like Tristan used to do. May he rest in despair. <laughs> um, interestingly. Rory says to Paris that she got lucky having Jamie as a first boyfriend, which is kind of exactly what Lorelai said to Rory about Dean. Yeah. So I thought that was interesting writing. Like, I don't know if that was intentional or if that was, like, Rory kind of realizing her mom was right or, like, admitting at this point that her mom was right, that she did get lucky with Dean. I don't know. Or if she's just it's showing her maturity to a point where she's aware now of that concept. Or if she's just parroting her mother. I don't know. Or it has nothing to do with it and it was just coincidence. I hear what you're saying, but it just seems too coincidental to be coincident. Sure. I, I didn't connect it, but... It's just, it almost seems like she's regurgitating stuff her mother has said, which is what children do. So. Yeah. Finally, after Rory has confronted Paris about mistreating Jamie, Robot Paris decides she's right and calls Jamie and just unceremoniously breaks up with him over the phone. On his birthday. On his birthday. While also throwing Rory under the bus by saying Rory convinced her to do it. So later when Rory is leaving to go home, Paris tries to explain herself. She says that she didn't break up with Jamie initially because she thought her relationship with Asher might just be like a little fling, that maybe he wasn't actually interested in her. But now it seems like he might want to be together long term, so she feels like she can break up with Jamie. However, her evidence for this is just not particularly convincing. I don't think he does want to be with her. I think it could go either way. Well, I mean, you know what the future holds, I guess. I do. Um, I don't exactly remember how it goes down, but... I don't know. He asked her what her plans for the summer are. He's going to Oxford or something. Yeah, but that could just be like, yeah, I want to bang you over the summer. But obviously we're never going to be a public couple. She thinks he might ask her to go to Oxford with him. That's true. There's the whole public issue. Is Asher Fleming like super tenured? Like, can he not get fired for having an affair with a student? Because he's flaunting it pretty hard. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, at some point with tenure, you can't be fired, but... I mean, they're not flaunting it, but he's definitely not hiding it very hard. Yeah, I mean, is he supposed to be? They're just like making out in the courtyard. They were just like making out in front of her dorm. Anyway, I think the most interesting part of the scene is where Paris admits that she knows that she can be not nice sometimes, but she doesn't want to hurt other people. And she hopes that Asher doesn't see that part of her. I thought that whole admission and worry was very revealing about Paris. Yeah. And then Rory's like, I just want you to be happy. Because I feel like Paris, like, deep down does want to be a good person. But, like, it's just, like, her brain has trouble producing empathetic responses. Mm-hmm. Paris also mentions that Tana's hair was a success. Yes. Tana got a boyfriend or got him to call her. Meanwhile, this day is very different for Lorelai. Jason is visiting Stars Hollow. He took the morning off so that he could go furniture chopping with furniture chop. Furniture, furniture chopping. Chopping. He wants to <laughs> chop it up. Furniture, furniture shopping for his new office. He also wants to see Stars Hollow and spend time with Lorelai. So she's going to take him around town and take him to Mrs. Kim's to buy furniture and stuff. On his way into town, though, he tailgates Luke, and there's some honking and yelling happening. We don't see that it's Jason, but we do shortly after. I mean, I knew it was immediately. I was going to say, did you think it was Jason? Because you suspected that Jess was coming back. Yeah. So did you ever, did you for a second think it might be Jess? No, I, it was a fancy car. Okay. Because Milo's name is at the top of the episode, but I don't think you saw it. No, I never look at the names. I should, but I don't. I mean, when I say I should, I shouldn't. Like, I like to be surprised by who's in the episode. Yeah. You also are bad with names. You might not even know. I know who Milo is. How do you say his last name? In your dreams. <laughs> Milo in your dreams. 
Phenopolis. I don't know what his name is. It's Phenopolis. <laughs> it's Phenopolis. Thank God. That's what I'm, I've been writing it's in my diary. Fural Demon. Fural Demonopolis. When he gets into town, though, Jason begs Lorelai to take him to that place. She's always mentioning that she goes daily for coffee. You know, Dukes. Dukes. Yeah, it's funny. He just keeps calling it Dukes, and at some point she sort of starts calling it Dukes. Mm -hmm. And it's just like the fun dynamic of like, yeah, but Luke's there. Who's Luke? Is he at Dukes? Yeah, he's not sure what it's actually called. Yeah. It's funny because she doesn't want to take him there because she doesn't want to have that awkward conversation with Luke. The one where he gets weird around her new love interest and she would have to admit that she hasn't told Luke about her new beau. Even though friends tell each other everything according to Lorelai. Also, in the beginning, he came over and she was talking about Jason to Rory and she like stopped talking about it. Yep. So it's like we tell each other everything except, you know, the things I don't tell you, Luke. When will these two admit that there's chemistry? Probably like season five. (sighs) Oh, did you want me to confirm or deny what you just said? No. Finally, she acquiesces. She's like, well, we got to do this at some point, I guess. She doesn't say that, but you could tell that's their, like, thought process. So she takes him over to Duke's, but when she gets there, suddenly he doesn't want to go in because he sees the car and he admits to Lorelai that there might have been a bit of a road rage incident. It was funny because he said Luke was going, like, 20, and she's like, the speed limit's 12. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. He's a businessman with business things. So they're going to go somewhere else for coffee. Now, this day should be fun, but... Jason's a businessman with business stuff to do. He can't take a whole business day off. He never really gets a day off. So for the whole day, he has to constantly take phone calls from different offices around the world. That's funny. When he shows up, he's on the phone in the car with Japan. Yeah. And Lorelai says something about something being kinky. And all the people on the phone hear her. Yeah, and they're like, what is kinky? (laughs) Yeah, it's kind of funny and weird because Lorelai, like, does not at all respect the fact that he's on business calls. Like, in the car, she's just saying stuff that's like, they might be offended by some of these things. Yeah. I feel like she's patient with it to a point. It's tricky, because she kind of does get mad at him for being on calls. Right. But, like, he's also not supposed to be on calls. He took the day off to be with her. So I get why she'd be annoyed. I'm torn. She is very patient with him, for sure. I've noticed that. But in the same token, she's, like, being patient, but also being childish by, like, talking while he's on the phone loudly. Yeah. Like, saying kinky. Like, it's like you're on, he's on a business call with Japan right now. So when you say she's patient, like, yeah, she doesn't snap at him, but she does stuff that, like, isn't cool. Yeah. It's funny to us, but also, I don't know what their conversation was like. He might have said, I might have to take some business calls. It doesn't sound like he said that to her, though. Eventually, she does understandably get upset with him for being on the phone all day, but it sort of, in the end, kind of comes around to bite her. She goes into Mrs. Kim's, and she sort of just, like, walks up to her and says, you know, Lane's okay. I want you to know she's staying with Rory. And Mrs. Kim doesn't, like, react very big, but you can just, like, tell that that meant a lot to her, that she's happy that her daughter's safe, at least. Yeah, but also maybe a little painful. Yeah, but I think I agree with you, but it it seemed to me more like relief that her daughter was okay. I don't know. Yeah. Is that not what you got? No, I I got what you got and what I got. (laughs) So when Lorelai comes out, sees that Jason is on the phone again, she just starts yelling at him, but he's on the phone with Emily this time. Luckily, Emily does not recognize Lorelai's voice, and he's just saying that he's somewhere that's, like, crowded and busy. Yeah, he's, like, trying to wave Lorelai away. Like, shut up. Don't talk, but it doesn't work. Yeah. So they get off the phone, and they're like, well, we dodged a bullet there. But then Emily calls Lorelai, and then during her phone call, Jason twice accidentally almost outs himself. (laughs) 
It's funny because Jason got Lorelai to shut up by saying Emily. Right, yes. What is it, Emily? And then when Emily calls Lorelai, she's like, uh, what's up, Emily? Yeah, and she's like, why are you calling me Emily? Usually Emily's pretty astute with Lorelai's bullshit, but... She lies to her like a few times in this call and she like doesn't pick up on it. Well, it's pretty funny too because when she answers the phone, he's like, Lorelai Gilmore, you're a hypocrite. And then she's like, hi, Emily. Yeah. It's like, who's calling you a hypocrite? And Lorelai says she's just like somewhere crowded. She's on a busy street where there's men harassing her. Yeah. And then Jason answers the phone. He's like, this is Jason Styles answering the phone <laughs> like a radio DJ uh, and then she's like waving him away he's like immediately realizes what a dumb move he just made that was all pretty funny and Emily's like get off the street whatever you do <laughs> But Emily doesn't put it together. She's probably thinking about tea or something. However, they've both been invited to some charity event. That's right. why Emily has called them both separately, mm-hmm. which we do not see in this episode. Right. So I, I assume that's going to happen like in the next episode. I assume so. This almost felt like a two-parter because mm-hmm. we also don't see the Firelight Festival that they bring up a couple oh, times. That's right. After this debacle of almost getting caught, Jason just asked Lorelai to please tell her parents because keeping a secret is only going to make it worse. And I, I totally agree with him. I think it's only going to make it worse. She agrees as well. Yeah. And she finally like acquiesces and is like, okay, I will tell them. In fact, I will tell them tonight at Friday night dinner. Three small points I want to bring up. I really like Lorelai's pink coat. Mm-hmm. I just do. It's nice. It's cute. I'm all about it. Yeah. She should wear it more. Or get me one. Yeah. You should get a pink coat. Or um, you get it from me. Lorelai makes fun of Jason for being a Trekkie because he makes, like, a reference to Star Trek. And I have to say that uh, Star Trek is actually pretty fucking cool. Oh, okay, well. Not all of it, but some of it is, so whatever. I don't disagree, but the writers clearly hate it. They've (laughs) made fun of it before. They also both make a point of saying that they really like their relationship. They say, like, they like us, which is like, oh, so your relationship's going well. Yeah, it's interesting because I could have seen this day ending badly yeah. because of her being maybe disrespectful of his phone calls, but also him being disrespectful of their date by taking phone calls. Well, I'm glad we had this because there's just multiple things that have led us to be confused about whether or not they're doing well. Mm-hmm. The botched first date, I mean, at the end of the episode, it was like, it worked out, but it was like not going well for a lot of the episode. Right. Then there was the sleeping arrangement. Like date went well, the sex went well, but then he was weird about the sleeping arrangement. And then today it was on the phone all day. So it was like, oh, what's going to happen? Yeah. But they seem to really like each other. Yeah. There's also a really funny moment where she's like, why are you talking to my mom? Are you doing like a Mrs. Robinson thing with her? That's when he says the triangle thing. Yeah. He like lies. He's like, yes. (laughs) She has a cigarette. The triangle thing with her legs. I don't know. Just the way he yes handed her was very funny. Yes and, if you don't know, is an improv term for agreeing and adding. (laughs) Just Google yes and, (laughs) and you'll get a better description than what Stacey just said. No, but. So right before Friday night dinner, Rory goes home and notices that Lorelai's house has actual food in it. There's a tomato? Bread? Cheese? What is happening? In addition to these things, she also notices that there seems to be like lower wattage bulbs in the lights and that all their magazines aren't there. And she puts together later that her mother is skimping. She's having some money issues. Lorelai says, no, no. Right. Lorelai says, like, no, of course, I'd tell you. I would tell you, but, I mean, it's. I think it's pretty clear that she is. Yeah, because after Rory goes to bed, she turns off the lamp. Yep. It's nighttime, but. But I don't understand why she's doing this lie. Like, she wants to keep her daughter, I don't know, happy and focused on her own stuff, I guess. Rory's always been concerned about the money stuff. I feel like Rory would want to, like, quit Yale or something. Yeah, that's maybe true. If it meant her mom was struggling. But I also want to point out that on their way to Friday Night Dinner, she's got another coat. So I'm just like, maybe you could do some skimping by, like, not buying coats every day or sell a couple of these coats. 
But keep the pink one. Keep that pink coat, though, Lorelai. That coat looks magnificent on you. You look oh. like an angel. Oh. <laughs> but you don't have money for the other coats. Let me see them first. If they're anything like that pink coat, you can keep them. I do want to point out they live in a winter climate, allegedly. Unlike Sarah Michelle Gellar. Yes. <laughs> Makes well, much more Buffy, sense. Buffy. Uh, Sarah Michelle Gellar, I, I assume she lives... In L.A.? I don't know where she lives. Probably. But either way, it makes much more sense for Lorelai to have more coats than Buffy. I agree. But it's just funny to see her in two separate coats in the same day when she's got money troubles. So when they finally do go to Friday night dinner, Richard isn't there. He's in New York, near Times Square, by the way, traveling for work. Emily says that he said that Times Square gets cleaner each year. And they didn't even find a single prostitute this year. But as someone who lives in New York, let me tell you, the prostitutes may have left. But the Elmos have moved in. And they're scarier. That's true. Just people with the dirtiest Elmo costume ever forcing a photo with you and then demanding you pay for it. They'll suck your dick. Yeah, I mean, (laughs) you could still get the same services. They're not family-friendly Elmos. No, 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 no. Unless you're trying to start a family. (laughs) Emily complains that Jason should be in New York working in it. She's annoyed he took the whole day off. Also annoyed at how often he tries to butter her up all the time. She can tell that he's constantly agreeing with her and saying compliments to her, and it's all fake. Lorelai tries to defend Jason a bit, and eventually Emily makes a glib joke about how Lorelai and Jason would be just perfect for each other. And then Emily starts laughing like a fucking maniac. It's weird. She's just like, <laughs> I was like, is she, is she having a mental breakdown right now? She says she's laughing because Lorelai took it so seriously. Right. I don't. It felt like maybe bad writing. Like they, if they wanted her to laugh for like the full two minutes that she laughs for, they needed to give her something funnier to laugh at. You could yeah. tell the actress was like, "What am I laughing at? This isn't actually that funny." Exactly. Or like give examples of why they would like quote unquote be perfect together, but like imperfect together. I think it would have been funnier if she just like kept. Making drinks and, like, listing reasons why Jason was terrible. Yeah. I mean, not funnier, but, like, that also would have kept Lorelai from telling her. Yeah. Lorelai doesn't tell her because Emily laughs at the idea of them dating. Yeah, and her justification was the idea of them together was just so ludicrous. And Lorelai tries to get an answer as to why, and Emily just keeps laughing. However, I don't think this is the biggest storyline in this episode. No? At some point, we get to meet that woman that Luke was arguing with. And it wasn't a lawyer working for Nicole trying to make the divorce happen. Who did you think it was when she came in? I didn't know. I didn't think it was related to the lawyer thing because she didn't look like a lawyer. Mm-hmm. It didn't, I, I, didn't, I didn't have any idea, honestly. But I didn't suspect who it really was. It's his sister, Jess's mom. Liz. Obviously, their relationship is uh, uneasy. She's kind of a lot. She's very, like hippy dippy but also she has a couple lines that are i don't know like i don't know if she's supposed to be a narcissist but she she says like you look good luke and then she pauses and then she's like don't i look good i look good and i am good those lines are like are you a narcissist that's the stuff like a narcissist would say yeah i i could see that to me i took that to mean like historically she has not been good or looked good and she's cleaned her life up a bit you should be proud of me okay I mean, also, you could see it as, Luke, you should be asking these things of your sister. Yeah, because he is quite cold to her. Right, but I think she has reason to be cold toward her. Yes. Yes, there are other ways to take it besides narcissism, but, like, it just seemed like the first couple words out of her mouth were that, and I was like, ugh. Well, first she finds her pot. Yeah, she goes in the closet and finds some old pot. It's funny to see Luke kind of act like, oh, what am I going to do about this? I'm gonna, I'll have find a way to get rid of it. It's like, okay, dude. <laughs> he doesn't want to throw it away because the trash man will see it. Which was the person who sold it to her, I guess. <laughs> well, Liz is in town, presumably for a high school reunion. But also, she's got a new boyfriend. But Luke has heard all this before. 
She's dated a bunch of losers who have ended up leaving her and taking all of her money and leaving her begging Luke for money. And it seems like she always says it's going to be different this time, and it never is. Right. She goes on to say, I have a new job, and I'm really proud of it. And he kind of asks about it, but she's just like, well, I make jewelry. And then we find out she makes jewelry that she then sells at Renaissance fairs. And the way she portrays this, we kind of differed on our opinion, so let's you can jump in here, but it sounds like her job is pretty very low status. Like, she's just going to Renaissance fairs, dressing up, and, like, selling stuff, but essentially asking for tips. I think she does. I rewatched it, because you thought maybe she only was making tips, but she says she sells it. So I, I think she maybe gets tips in addition to selling it. Right, but, I mean, it's a weird, the fact that she is, it, it's not like the jewelry is how I make my money. But she mentions the tips like, oh, and I get these tips. Sure. To me, it sounds like she thinks she's doing well, and she keeps trying to convince Luke that she's doing well. I kind of believe her because she seems nice, but Luke tells us that he's heard this all before. So is she reliable when she says she's doing well? For me, her job does not sound like she's doing well. Okay. I don't mean to belittle anyone that's, like, selling jewelry. That I mean, I think you can. I just, the way that it was, like, very specific about Renaissance Fair jewelry, to me, was, like, I don't think you're actually doing well. And obviously, we're meant to believe that Luke doesn't think she is. Like, he thinks her job is bullshit. Right. But we also know that Luke is very, like, particular about jobs and status. Uh, and he's kind of judgy about that sort of stuff. Which I get, because I'm judgy as fuck. But he finally gets to a breaking point with her. It confronts her about being a bad mom and, like, just dumping Jess on him. She goes on, she's like, well, I just thought he'd be better off with you. Which is like, what? Yeah. It's your son, man. Like, Yeah, that's the first thing she said where I was like, well, you don't necessarily just get to do that. Yeah. What you should be saying is, hey, I'm sorry that I just dumped Jess on you. You would then say, I thought it would be best, but I see now that was a mistake. But instead, she kind of puts the blame on him. Like, I thought I'd be better with you, which sort of insinuates you fucked it up. She also doesn't seem mad at him for whatever happened with Jess. So I think they both just agree that there's nothing to be done about Jess. Luke rehashes his and Jess's relationship about Jess lying to him, about work and school. I think this is mainly for us, the audience, to remember all the stuff that happened with Jess. Uh, But he finally admits something very interesting that was like an unanswered question for the longest time. He admits that at some point he broke into and stole Jess's car to keep him from going to work, to keep him in school. And he's been keeping this stolen car in his father's, like, old garage. Yeah. I think it was heavily implied that Luke took it, but we never had confirmation on if he did or where it was. Yeah, it was heavily implied, but it was such a big thing to do that it was, like, crazy that we never, like, confirmed that. Yeah, you were like, thank you. (laughs) Yeah, I know. I said that out loud. Luke essentially wraps this all up as saying that, like, well, I guess I'm a failure, too, essentially. He doesn't say those words, but that's the gist, I think. Mm-hmm. It's like, well, we both fail. I think it's important to mention that she says that she hasn't had any contact with Jess, which is probably why he felt comfortable telling her about the car. But, 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 after she leaves, a little later, Luke goes to that garage and finds that the car is missing. So he calls the police, the police find it, because it broke down on the interstate. But when they show up to Luke's again, they said, uh, we can't really press charges against anybody, and we can't really give you the car back, because the owner was in the car. You're not the owner, Jess is. That's right, Jess is back. I saw this coming a mile away. That Jess would be back? Yeah. And not because you saw Milo's name in the top. No. I saw this a mile away. You mean Jess's return in general? Yeah, I mean, it was just, he was too big of a character to just be like, we're gone. I understand he was going to do a spinoff, and if there had been a spinoff, I feel like he wouldn't maybe come back to Stars Hollow, but the fact that his spinoff failed, it's like, he's coming back this season. 
He's too big of a love interest to just like throw away. He just says he's here for like a day or two. I don't believe that. That's what he says. What I would believe is that he'll be back for an episode or two and then leave, but then come back at the end of the season. We'll see. Maybe I'm wrong. But he's not done. And I knew he was coming back this season. I don't care if he was in a coma. He's coming back. Anywho's ways. Hashtag faith. <laughs> he's pissed at Luke for stealing his car, which is like justified. Not only stealing it, but not maintaining it. So now it just doesn't work. Just says like, Luke, you're going to pay for all these repairs. You didn't maintain it. Luke's like, I'm not gonna. To be fair, the car was a piece of junk. That's Luke's defense uh, is that it's garbage. And it was. But Luke, I feel like Luke should have given Jess's car back after he left. I mean, I guess he sort of just like ran away, essentially. Yeah. I feel like he should have said the cops found your car. It's at this address. You can pick it up whenever or I'll sell it and send you the money. Or like. I'm kicking you out. P.S. I did take your car. Here I it is. See Go. Luke never wanted to admit that he stole the car. Yeah, because Jess probably could press charges. Also, just he didn't want to admit to being technically wrong about that. Yeah. It's just sort of Luke's character, I feel like. But it's like crazy that he just kept the car and didn't sell it or like tell Jess, oh, the police found it. Do you want me to sell it? Whatever. So obviously, Luke and Jess are fighting. They're not getting along. Luke tells him he can't stay with him, which I get. So Jess is just going to sleep in his car. He's like, I'll just, the back of the car is as comfortable as anything. So Jesse just gets in his car and he's going to go to sleep even though it's like freezing out. Rory and Lorelai just happen to notice Jess in his car while they're walking home from getting some late night hocho, which is a cutesy way to say hot chocolate, I guess. Well, I think to be fair, they notice his car is back. Right. It's a very recognizable yes. car. But I also want to point out, why did they not go to Luke's for hocho? I don't know. I feel like they would have. He might have been closed. Yeah, maybe. Because Lorelai goes in there in a second and he doesn't seem open. That hasn't stopped them before. Rory uh, does not like this. It, it triggers her, I feel like. She's just like, this is bullshit. I'm going home. She doesn't say bullshit, but she's just like, I'm going home. Lorelai like, walks into Luke's and tries to convince him to just give Jess a place to stay where he won't freeze to death. Luke's like, no, not going to do it. She's like, cool, just relax. She leaves, and then it's clear some of that message from Lorelai gets through to Luke. He angrily goes out to the car, knocks on the glass, and says, like, I'm going to Nicole's to spend the night because I live there, remember, everyone? I live at Nicole's, <laughs> even though I was going to stay here again. Um, he's like, I'm going to Nicole's to spend the night. I don't care if you want to stay in the apartment or you want to stay out here and freeze to death. doesn't mean anything to me. And he leaves, just waits a couple beats, then goes inside Luke's. The secret key he uses, by the way, is just, like, on top of the doorframe. Anyone could find it. Any tall person. Could see it. Yeah. If you walk away from it, you should be able to just see it on top. I mean, it's it's a pretty safe town. There was a murder outside of Luke's. No. No, there was just a (laughs) fake crime scene. Jess did that. Yeah, yeah. So Jess goes inside, but Luke has, like, just, like, driven around the block, and he sits there and sees Jess go inside, which I guess is telling us that he cares, even though he said he didn't. Yeah. I mean, he clearly does. Yeah. And that's where it ends. What's going to happen? What's going to happen? I want to know. So, Stace, was this a good episode of Gilmore Girls? Yeah, I think it was. Yeah. There wasn't a lot really wrong with it. There's a lot of revelations. We got to meet Luke's sister. We got to figure out what happened to the car. Paris's romance came to a head. Yeah. The progression of Lorelai and Jason's relationship was interesting. I like them together. I think they're, they're cute. It's fun when they're happy and having fun. I just don't feel like they're going to work. I mean, I it like does seem like there's some problems for sure, but they're a good match. He is very quick. I think he's quicker than Christopher and Max Medina. Like, he's very like, uh-huh. I got a joke too. Well, I got a joke to your joke. Yeah. Very yes, Andy. Her and Christopher have a certain chemistry, but it's it's not quite the same with the jokes. 
I feel like it, her and Christopher's like, I have a partner who understands the yes and concept of improv, but like isn't the most creative person in the world. Yeah. Whereas like this guy gets it and I got to keep up with him too. Mm-hmm. And I just thought there were a lot of really fun, well-written scenes. Like that opening was masterful. Yeah. And I thought the scene with Luke and his sister was good. Yeah. Some of it was a little expositiony to remind us the deal with Jess. Right. But, but I don't know. Any show's going to do that. Yeah. I, I thought it was very informative. We learned a lot about Luke's sister and how Luke feels about it. Um, I thought the phone call stuff with Emily and Jason was really funny. The only thing I really didn't like was Emily's laughing. It was insane laughter. And, and Jess showing up was, was cool to see where him and Luke are at. Same place they were at. <laughs> yeah. So what did you think? Yeah, I thought it was a, a, a good episode. I, I didn't think it was like as hilarious as you did. In um, general or? Yeah, in general. The phone call stuff is pretty funny, but I wouldn't be like, that's the funniest thing I've ever seen. I feel like Gilmore's been funnier. Yeah. And the opening was good, but mostly the Kirk stuff is what was funny to me. I actually thought that Paris's stuff was not funny. I didn't think it was necessarily funny, the Paris stuff, but I just thought the way there was like six things happening yeah. through a conversation with just two people on the phone was cool. Storytelling. Yeah. I could see that. Like that must have been kind of fun to write. Mm-hmm. Well, Brian... It's finally time to reveal yourself. Which episode do you think was better? Well, it's tough because on the one hand, you got that pink coat. Yeah. This is a good pink coat. Uh-huh. But on the other hand, you got Riley. He sucks. Just wearing a shirt that says East. <laughs> uh, you don't know. Now that we've gone over it, I don't know. I think I've decided, but you have to say first. I really don't know. I'm going to go Buffy. Okay, I think I'm going to go Gilmore. What I, the f- I was going to go Gilmore. I had decided. Okay. But it's hard. They're very close. There were just some really funny lines in Buffy. Like when Spike, when Child's like, Spike knew? I love that line. Yeah, it's, it's, so, it's a great Buffy. I, I liked this Buffy a lot. It was a really good Giles episode. Very funny. We lost a character in Buffy. We didn't even talk about that. We did? Someone's gone forever now. Ethan? No. Giles' car. Oh my god, I thought for sure it was going to end with him getting a new car, but he got a new phone instead. Well, he's got to get a new car too. Yeah, Spike crashed it. Mm-hmm. If it was any other car, it might have been repairable. It wasn't like a huge crash, but that car probably wasn't doing great. That destroyed car, fun fact, is what they used for Jess's car in Gilmore Girls. It's not true at all. It's not true at all. Um, it's a really tough call. I think I went with Gilmore because I think, I don't know, we pointed out a few things with Buffy. Like, it didn't super make sense that Ethan was there. Yeah, totally. It didn't make sense that Ethan didn't leave. I don't know. I think there were just a few little logic things that I was confused by. And I don't really care about Buffy and Riley's romance. Which totally. Was, yeah, I get that. Or even really Buffy's relationship with the initiative. Right. Uh, but I did really like learning more about the evilness of the initiative, or that it might be evil, at mm-hmm. least. But th- I think there was less I didn't like about Gilmore. And I was impressed with some of the writing, where I was disappointed with some of the Buffy writing. I see that, yeah. But Buffy was really good. I laughed a lot. It, it could have been the one. But it's Milo. Milo's the one. It's also like, I don't know, we're supposed to like forgive Paris for like being so terrible to her boyfriend. Yeah, that's true. Like the most we get is like, a, well, Rory's a little mad at you. It's like, no, like she's doing a bad thing, like a really bad thing. Mm-hmm. And we're supposed to play it off like, well, you know, Paris has trouble with people skills. Like, okay. Yeah. And it's not like Jamie did anything wrong. If anything, Jamie's a fucking saint. Yeah. Anyway. If you guys want to watch along next week, we'll be watching Gilmore Girls Season 4, Episode 13, Nag Hammadi is Where They Found the Gnostic Gospels. As well as Buff the Vampire Slayers Season 4, Episode 13, The Eye and Team. 
In the meantime, we'd love to hear your thoughts on the episodes we discussed in this podcast. Like, what do you think Ethan did all day? How would you be able to tell if your father figure had turned into a demon? Was Mrs. Kim sad or glad from Lorelai's news? Why did Lorelai not want to tell Luke about Jason? Is Emily okay? Is she all right? Let us know. You can reach out by following us on Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, and TikTok at Gilmore Slayer, where we post interactive questions, comedy sketches based on each episode and more. And we're watching the show Angel now. If you want to hear what we have to say about Angel, subscribe to our Patreon page, where we also host monthly live stream watch parties, post monthly outtakes, and extended episode previews. And more sometimes. And shout out to our new Patreon subscriber, Ellen Witten. If you want to support the podcast, you can do so by subscribing to our Patreon page, patreon.com forward slash Brian and Stacy, or by taking advantage of our wine partnership with wink.com, or by making a one-time donation. All of these options are linked in the episode description and on our social media bios. You can also support us by leaving that five-star review on Apple Podcasts, or a rating on Spotify as soon as that rolls out. Like we said at the top, this really helps us get discovered by even more Buffy and Gilmore fans. And if you leave a review, we'll give you a shout-out on an upcoming podcast. For more non-podcast comedy content, follow us at Brian and Stacy. That's Brian with a Y, Stacy with an E-Y. And be sure to subscribe to our YouTube channel called Brian and Stacy. Or send us an email at brianandstacyreviews at gmail.com. I know we were making baked potatoes last time, but we are again. We're often making baked potatoes while we do this. We eat a lot of baked potatoes. They're so good. Why aren't you eating baked potatoes? They're pretty good for you. We, we, put, mm, a lot we put a lot of butter, butter on these bad boys. But you can't eat it plain. Are you guys eating potatoes plain? What's wrong with you? Ugh. 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 What are we doing? I don't know. Riley thinking about Buffy or cars. Your soul is the purest heart I've ever thought the about. The purest heart. Anyway, Commander. Ugh. Riley, what are you doing?